This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. It's State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldin with NPR's best reporting on a war that's changing the world. More than 10 million people have been displaced to other parts of Ukraine or across its borders. But then there are the people who stayed because they were physically unable to go, because they refused to be displaced from their homes by the Russians, or maybe because they couldn't find a safe way to flee. They stayed behind at great risk of being killed in a war that has seen Russia target civilians and strike civilian infrastructure. Today, we look at two places where people stayed behind. We start with Kyiv, which has become safer but not safe in the days since Russian forces retreated. Alyssa Nadwarny takes us to an apartment building in the capital where the few people who stayed behind have banded together. Just a short drive from central Kyiv, a cluster of old Soviet-style apartment buildings surround an empty courtyard and playground. Oh, this <laughs> Inside, we take the dark green stairs to the third floor, apartment 14. We are glad to see you. <laughs> Tamara Vysenko ushers us in. Her husband, Pavlo, is close behind. Come in, come in, he says, and leads us to the living room. They sit side by side on the floral couch. They're both 87 years old. But I'm two months older, Tamara jokes. Can't you tell? They met as children. Their parents were doctors at a local hospital. They lived together nearly their whole lives. As kids, they fled to what's now Russia during the Second World War. It's hard to believe a place they sought refuge could do this to them. Russian is our enemy. It is impossible. After they got married, Tamara taught English. Many, many years ago, but I have forgotten almost everything. <laughs> Pavlo was a pilot in the military for 25 years. He feels guilt now. He's too old to be of use. I am sad I am so old. I cannot fight the bastards. Here, in this apartment, the last several weeks, they've heard the explosions. The closest metro stop, a short walk away, was hit by missile fragments. The entrance burned and damaged. If it's our time to die, it's our time, Tamara says. Our age, we lived many, many years. Might be enough. Plus, she tells me, everything is better when they're together. When she cries, Pavlo tells me he comforts her. Yes, there is still danger outside, the air raid sirens, the unknown strike of a missile. But we've made it this far in life, they tell me. We can handle this. Most of the apartments in this building are still empty. But there's a handful, like Tamara and Pavlo's, that are filled with life. Because not everyone can evacuate. Often, the ones left behind are elderly. Down the hall, we meet Nadia Yerkimovich. Her son, Misha, greets us. Nadia, who is almost 90, is bedridden from a fall in December. She spends most of her days watching news of the war on TV. 
She jokes that she knows more about this damn war than anyone. Beyond her lace curtains, the windows are taped over so they won't break in a blast. Whenever they hear explosions, she tells her son to go down to the shelter. But he tells her, I'm not going anywhere without you. We will be together. Maybe if she hadn't fallen down or been so ill, they would have left Kiev. But it's too hard now. Even though my life isn't great, she says, I don't want to die. But staying behind has had its challenges. Medicine is hard to find. And she's running out of diapers. She prays that the war will end soon, so she'll be able to enjoy the rest of her days. In an adjacent building across the courtyard with the empty swings and slide, we take a rickety elevator to the ninth floor. Apartment 50. Alexandra Kritimova greets us with an exuberance that's quite explosive for a woman in her 80s. She's got a no-nonsense air and a sarcastic sense of humor. When I ask her if the building is tight-knit, she laughs. Of course, of course, she says. But we don't kiss each other. Her great-granddaughter, Oksana, who is 11, is here visiting playing music on a brightly colored plastic piano. Her great-grandmother gifted her the toy, and she's learning to teach herself to sing. The main room in the apartment is full of keepsakes, books and photos and memorabilia. Everything has happened here in the apartment, Alexandra says. Her first child was born here in 1969. She became an engineer here, her job before she stopped working. She unwraps an old blue photo album. She'd protected them in case she had to leave in a hurry or her apartment was damaged. This is what I wanted to show you, she says, leafing through the pages. This is me pointing to a photo of a three-month-old baby. This is me, she says, growing up on Trakhanov Island in Kiev. I can't leave all this, she says. It's my whole life. And where would I go if I did? Nowhere. Before we go, she shuffles us into the kitchen. You can't escape my cabbage, she says. She's made sauerkraut. As she outlines the recipe, shred the cabbage, add the sugar, then the salt, Oksana starts to play music again. This time, her notes are accompanied with singing. It's an original she's written just for us, inspired by her great-grandmother's cabbage. I brought cabbage, Oksana sings, and I treated my friends with it. Alyssa Nadworny, NPR News, Kyiv, Ukraine. 
and now east to Kharkiv, a city that has seen some of the worst assaults since the start of the war, and where the danger is only growing as Russia refocuses its war to the east. Ader Peralta is there and spoke to Elsa Chang. Can you just tell us, what are you seeing there firsthand right now? Yeah, look, right now the city is in almost complete darkness. And in the distance, you can hear the constant sound of shells and mortars. And as we made our way through the city, we saw buildings that have been hit by missiles. People here sleep in bunkers. Others are living in subway stations. But what I found remarkable is that some of the people who have stayed have almost gotten used to this war. I'll give you one example. Irina Sudesteva has decided to stay here in Kharkiv, in large part because her 92-year-old mother can't get out of bed and she lives on the fifth floor. Um, mm. And we were talking amid the sounds of shelling, and she barely flinched. But if we have two dualities, if we have two poles of that, you have two choices. It's either to be fully afraid or live your life for the fullest. And we shouldn't take that as bravado. I mean, because what she told me is that she actually wishes that those were not the choices in front of her. And all the people I spoke to today told me the same thing, that they hope that this war ends soon. Yeah. Well, Ada, I'm wondering, is any of this that's happening in Kharkiv telling us about what we might see later on in this conflict? What do you think? Yeah, I think it tells us that this conflict is full of uncertainty. Here in Kharkiv, people are wondering if the Russian troops will retreat like they did in the capital, Kiev, or if they will reinforce their positions and make a move for the city. And I think the big fear is devastation. We've seen towns in this country flattened, and here we hear artillery fire all the time. And when you talk to people coming in from the northern suburbs, some of which are occupied by Russian soldiers, they say that their homes have been destroyed, that their communities are now in rubble. So the biggest fear is that as this conflict gets started in new fronts, that kind of destruction and displacement will follow. Yeah. Well, I want to turn to another development because Russia just recently announced a new commander who will oversee its war on Ukraine. What do we know about this individual? So he is Alexander Dvornikov, and he's 60, and uh, he had been in charge of the southern section of this war. Specifically, he oversaw the siege of Mariupol. Uh, That city has been encircled by Russian troops, which have shelled it constantly and cut it off from the world. Dvornikov uh, has also overseen Russian forces in Syria, where he was known as the Butcher of Syria, and where Russian troops have been accused of committing war crimes. That is NPR's Ader Peralta talking to us from Ukraine's eastern city of Kharkiv. Thank you, Ader. Thank you, Elsa. This is State of Ukraine. Milton Gavada produced and Catherine Laidlaw edited this episode. I'm Leila Falden. This message comes from NPR sponsor, HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. 
What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the LifeKit podcast from NPR.